today on the broadcast. I'm not taking funny pills. My back hurts, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, but I'm trying to keep my thoughts straight. But anyway, this is normally me making fun of you, so it's not really that that different, is it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to be back at Ephesians 2:10, and hopefully we'll be finished with Ephesians 2:10 tonight. Hey, Luke made it in. How you doing, Luke? You had enough hours, or did you have to walk? No. Head. What was that? Where? Wapaton. Where's that at? Um, 40 miles south of Norman. And you left at what time? 3.30. Yeah. Okay, p.m. I thought you meant a.m. I was like, you were really milking the clock there, buddy. <laughs> nice, and you made it. Well, praise the Lord. Good to have you here. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Father, Lord, bless us now, we pray, as we look through the scriptures here tonight, and thank you so much for them. Help it to edify our hearts and our minds and our lives and give us the direction that we need uh, for this week, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about those good works. The first time we covered those good works, we actually defined what they were for every person, right? What they were for the husband and the wife and, and for the child uh, in, in whatever capacity you're in, what those good works are. And then last week, uh, we talked about that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, we talked about which God hath before ordained, that he prepared us for those works. And now we're going to kind of finish up on this last phrase here that I believe is very important, that we should walk in them. Walking in them. And that metaphor of walking, the Bible talks about, it uses that word walk as a metaphor in the Christian life, for the Christian life, for the way of our life, the way that we should live our lives. And those good works and that walking in them is the way of our life. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's, our, it's the way that we live our lives. It's the manner in which we live our lives. The works are such that we should walk in them. It is God's will that every believer walk in the good works of the New Testament faith. It must be our lifestyle, our way of life. We are not to do good works just like once in a while or when we see fit as is convenient or as it pleases us, but we are to walk in them step by step, day by day, year by year until the end of this life. Until your life is over. See, salvation is a direction change. You were going away from God. You repented towards God and had faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And God turned you around. And you're going His way. It's, like, it's kind of like a, a map or whatever. And you turn it around and God says, no, you're heading this way. You were going that opposite way. Now you're going... Now you're going this way. That's what salvation is. Now the life of that is a life of good works. This is not the way of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. I don't expect lost people to come to God clean. Lost people come to God dirty. They are filthy. They are dirty. They are broken. They are dead in trespasses and sins. We all were. We came to Christ filthy and dirty. People say, well, uh, you know, you, you believe in turning from sin. Of course I do, because the Bible says that we're to repent and believe the gospel. So, yeah, 
but that that's instant. That's not like I that's not that's not the Pelagian street preaching signs out there that say stop sinning. You're telling people to do something that's absolutely impossible for them to do. Stop sinning. Well, you haven't stopped sinning. So what are you telling people to stop sinning for? That's not what the gospel says. It says repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It says repent and turn. Turn, right? And believe the gospel. And then you're going to sin a lot less, but you're not going to be sinless in this life. That's just the truth, friend. You know, we were, we were talking about that on the broadcast today. That There are people that teach falsely sinless perfection. And they teach that, that, that you can attain on this, in this life an entire sanctification. Well, that's a lie. Because no man, the only man that ever had entire sanctification is Jesus Christ. And when you say you have it, you're saying you're God. And you ought to be very afraid of making those statements and saying that you are Christ. Because, by the way, when someone preaches that, they're telling you they're God. When a man preaches, and then, by the way, Kenneth Copeland and those other men that, that preach that, they say, they say, I am. When I read in the Bible that God says, I am, I say, I am too. That's what he said. Right? That's what they believe. They believe they're gods. Right? So, but we don't believe that, but we do believe that you're going to sin less. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to, your, your way of life is not going to be a way of sin. You're going to stumble along the way and you're going to have to get right with God. And you're going to have to repent and get up again. Amen. That's the Christian life. Be it so, you are not to be, you are not to be saved by good works, but is there no other motive, asks one, that you can find for the performance of them? Do you feel no obligation to him who sent his only begotten son into the world that you might live through him? When you know that God has ordained that you should walk in the daily exercise of good works, have you no desire to please God? And when you know that this is the only path in which it is possible for you ever to arrive at your father's house, will you willfully turn aside from it? If gratitude will not constrain you, will you be insensible to fear? But further, it is by your, your works that men will judge of your principles. They judge your profession by your works. It's the only thing they can judge it by. The first time a person finds out that a Christian, a pastor, somebody is living in hypocrisy, it turns them off to biblical Christianity. Now, they don't realize what the Bible says about things like that. They only realize what they read in you. People look at you and they read you. They don't read the Bible, they read you. Lost people don't read the Bible, they read you. It's just the way it is. So they look at you and your manner of life and how you live. And if you go to work and you destroy your testimony and you, and you live like a wretch and you destroy your testimony in front of men and, and don't ever expect those men to come to Christ or to even listen to anything you say, they're going to despise you if you don't live for God. They'll despise you if you do live for God. But they will, they will, heap, they will heap the charge of hypocrisies upon hypocrisies after you and on you if you live the way they do. If you join into one of their little revelries and one of their little things that they do, if you join it, they will, they will never forget you did that. 
and they will use it against you. Because that's how the world is. That's how the world operates. They will expect to see you more holy than others. And if they are disappointed in this, they will cast the blame upon your principles and upon the gospel itself. Will you then put a stumbling block in the way of others and cause the name of your God and Savior to be blasphemed? That's what David did when he sinned with Bathsheba. And God judged him for it. Why? Because he caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme God's name because of his sin. And you and I, if we live in open, unrepentant sin and continual sin like that, that is, uh, you cause the enemies of God to blaspheme. This is why it's so important to have a biblical testimony. This is why, by the way, this is why it's so important for a lady uh, as, a, as a wife to have a biblical testimony and a husband to have a biblical testimony. And the reason I say that is because the Bible says that if a wife is not a keeper at home and not obedient to her own husband, it says the word of God is blasphemed. That's pretty powerful. When you read that in the scriptures and you see that, that shows you, lady, the importance of being a godly wife. It shows you the importance. Not, maybe your husband doesn't appreciate it, but God does. The Bible says it's in the sight of God a great price. So it's no excuse for you to say, well, my husband doesn't appreciate what I do. Well, you're supposed to be doing it for the Lord. Right? I don't pastor this church because you're always appreciative of everything I do. I, I don't. I do it because I love the Lord. And I'm thankful for what he's done for me. I don't do it because everybody's always appreciative or everybody likes what I say or, or anything like that. I do it because of what God's done for me. Because what I do, I do unto the Lord. Right? And so as a husband, uh, I don't, I, if my wife is not appreciative for what I do, that doesn't change the fact that I have responsibilities to do what God has commanded me to do. You understand that? I really wish you'd start to endure some hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and stop and stop being babies. Because we start to become babies. Like if we don't get our butts powdered and if we, and if we don't get a dry diaper on us, then, then, then we totally lose it. And if we're not appreciated the way we think we should be, or if you're not as a wife, and I'm telling you, lady, I'm talking to you, and I, you know why I'm talking to you? Because I understand how easy discontentment can come and the dangers of it, and that's why I preach so much against it. So much against discontentment. Because you think somebody, but God said that it was a great, it was in his side a great price. So what you do, you do unto the Lord. You don't do it because everybody around you does everything you want them to or everybody appreciates it because they don't. By the way, don't ever forget when your Lord came, nobody appreciated it either. Right. So understand that. You understand that, that when we're treated like that and things like that happen in life, we enter into that fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that we have to die to self. 
in your daily duties for your husband and wife and mothers and children and everything, you die to self. That's being a disciple. That's a follower of Christ. As a child, whatever, you, you die. That's our lives. That's why he saved us. It's our duty. You, you must understand above all else. And, and like I, I, I want to go back to this a little bit about enduring hardness. You must understand above all else that you must be obedient to God. Like you, you must be. What, why is that so important that I'm saying that like that? Because if feelings are the reason you do things, if, uh, if uh, people being nice to you are the reason you do things, if, if, uh, if you get heaped praise and people flatter you and all these other things, if that's the reason you do things, when those things stop, you'll stop doing them. You'll lose your motivation to do right. But it's the way of life that we live. We don't do it for those reasons. We do it because it's our duty. That's a way of enduring hardness as a good soldier. And lady, that's just not for your husband going out street preaching and enduring hardness. No, that's for you in the home, in your place, what you're doing. You, you got to understand, there's not like two different Bibles here. There's, not, there's one for you and one, 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 he has to endure hardness, but I don't have to endure hardness. There's not two different applications. No, you both do, and you have to endure hardness in the place that you are at, in the situation that you are in. You are commanded. You're not exempt from that. It's just you don't look at it because our battles are spiritual battles, and you don't look at it as a spiritual battle. You look at flesh and blood that's in front of you when things aren't going your way, and you think flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood, and God says, no, don't think flesh and blood. You're not supposed to think flesh and blood. Our battles are spiritual battles. Our wars are spiritual wars. That's what, our, that's what the battles are. So it's a spiritual battle that I'm fighting. I'm fight, and I need to be obedient to God no matter what my circumstances are. I still need to obey the Lord. I still have a duty. I still have a job to do. I still have a work to do until I'm gone, and I must perform it. Right? That's how you think. That's how you think like Christ. That's how you think concerning your duties and, and your performances and your good works and the things of that nature as a child of God. You, it's a duty. You, you, you have a responsibility. Like you, you have a responsibility. It's like today, my back was hurting when I was breathing in. I was like, oh man, this feels great. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going I'm I'm to get on that broadcast and I'm going to do what I need to do because I need to do it, right? I was like, I ain't going to sit around, man. If I sit around, I'll go nuts. I better just get to work. Amen. That's the way it is. You sit around and you become idle like you go nuts. You get to work. You get doing what God wants you to do. Amen. Men look at our works. They judge us by our works. James 2.20, but wilt thou now, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It still is, by the way, whatever James is talking about here. It's still faith without... If you told me you had faith, but you had no works to back it up, I wouldn't believe you were a Christian. Why, why should we? There's people we see on the street all the time, and they're waving their abortion. Like, like they're, they're bragging about abortion and saying they want to murder babies and everything else, and they're waving that around. And, they're, and, and we're lo we look at we just tell them, like, you're not a... We tell them, we look at them and tell them, you're not a Christian. Why? Because you speak the complete opposite 
of what this book says. And we know from what this book says that what your profession is saying is opposite. You're not a Christian because your works are dead. (laughs) You're dead. Your faith, you have no real faith. Real Bible faith moves you to do something, right? It moves you. It moved all of you. You got here tonight, didn't you? Amen. Why? Because it moved you. That's the way you did. It's not like, uh, like you could drag yourself in dead tired going through everything else and be like, whatever. I got work to do. I got faithfulness to do, right? Amen. Amen. So he's talking about being justified in the sight of man, not God. God already knows what you have and what you don't have, but your fellow man doesn't. By the way, why do you think your Christian testimony is so important as it relates to the church? Right? Because, I mean, if men can't see that we're... Like, if all of us just live, went about riotous living and living wickedly and fornicating and living like dogs, I mean, if your pastor did that, if any of you did, like, you wouldn't believe they were Christians. You'd be like, that guy ain't saved. He didn't even care. And when you when you doubt sometimes when you look at other people in their lives and they do they live in you doubt, that that's not wrong for you to question that. Because the Bible tells us, well, I mean, they don't have any fruit. See that if you challenge me like that, that should break your heart, not cause you to be angry. It should make you say, you know what? Man, what have I done to make somebody think that? Like, how have I lived my life to make somebody doubt that, to question me, to question my walk with God? See, the difference is people, a lot, most of the time, lost people get really angry when they're challenged like that. Saved people will reason that and say, okay, well, could you show me in the Bible why you think I'm not a child of God? I mean, what have I done that would make you believe that? Why? Well, because my authority is the book. What's their authority? their profession and the way they feel, the way they think. Ours is the book. We'll take them to the book because it will show me what the Bible says. That's like when, if we didn't have this book, oh man, these people would tear us up when we're out there. They make us feel like we're about this big after we're done, they're done, right? Because man, they could heap on some stuff. Man, they, I mean, they sound really spiritual, spiritual. Oh, they do, don't they? They sound really spiritual out there. Man, they make you sound mean. Like, after I'm done, I'm like, man, I must be the mean. Sometimes I go home and think, I am the meanest guy in the world. Like, that is just terrible. And then, I, then, then we start thinking about it. You start thinking scripturally. It's like, oh, no. Well, they're a, bunch of, they're a bunch of lost devils is what they are. They hate God and everything he stands for. Let no man deceive you by vain words. That's what the Bible says. So there's a way to judge those things. Well, how is that? It's the walk that they have. You can only judge the walk that they have. None of us are perfect judges, right? We're not. But all we can judge by is the walk that they have. And that's really what we're going to get into. All right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal... The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because men are saved unto good works, and they should not only do them when they first get saved, but their whole life. 
You have not so learned Christ, if so be you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. See then, says Spurgeon, that ye abound in every good word and work, and put to silence the ignorance of foolish men by well-doing. That we should walk in them or glorify God by an exemplary conversation and by our perseverance in holiness. That term walk here denotes the habitual tenor of the life. It is to be spent in the atmosphere of good works. It means, it means like, like, what is your habit in life? If someone looks at you and they should see the habits of a Christian, right? People talk about that. You've heard them say that before. Uh, if you were on trial in a court for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? I mean, it's kind of a corny saying, but it, but it, but it makes sense, right? Yeah, well, would there be? Would there be enough evidence in your life to, that you'd be guilty of being a Christian that they could try you and say, yep? Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope it would be uh, without, a, without a shadow of doubt, right, that they would be able to say that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Isn't that what it is? is how do they say that, Lee, in, in, in court, in the jury? What do, they, what do they have to do that? Beyond reasonable doubt, right? Beyond reasonable doubt. Should be, right? Your walk, your habits, your life. The nature of the tool, says one, proclaims its use. The hammer cannot be made to cut, nor the saw to drive nails. God's workmanship bears on its special form the indications of its purpose. Why he saved you, it shows. It shows why he saved us. We're instruments in his hand, right? So it, it should show. To know our work, we must pray for light that we may know ourselves or we shall fail into the common error, said one, of mistaking our inclination for our capacity and our ambition for our ability. Thus, in the new creature, God is appointed to all their destined courses through the vast expanse of moral and religious duty. God prepares us, right? He fits men. Men fit themselves for perdition, but it is God alone who fits for glory, right? We... We don't need any help going to hell. When we're born into this world, we don't need any help going to hell. We are bent on hell. We are bent on depraved in nature and bent on destruction. We not only inherited that from uh, Adam, our father, but we love it ourselves. We have a vast love for sin in the flesh. But we're made new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away, the Bible says. All things are become new. He recreates our hearts with a desire and a yearning for what is good, with the result that our lives are changed and we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, please. Look what he says here, for in Christ Jesus, in verse number 15, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. See, Paul is discussing, he's saying there that, that, you know, God makes all things new. When he saves you, he makes you a new creature. That's the only way you can seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Because children of God seek their father. That's why the Bible talks about Abba, Father. It says crying out, Abba, Father. Three times it says that in the, in, the, in the New Testament, to cry out to our Father in heaven. 
because we have a father when we are saved and we cry out to him. Just like uh, your children do at night, if they ever cried out to you at night when they're afraid or they're scared, they, 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 know, they know where mom and dad's room is. They know how to find that. And they can find that, I think, in the pitch black dark. They can figure out a way to get there, right? They'll find it. You know what? Same thing goes for you as a child of God. When the lights go out, you cry out to God. Amen. That's how it works. That's the spirit of his son that he sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Matthew 7, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I thought it was interesting here that that describes the charismatic movement on a side note here. They prophesy in Jesus' name. They cast out devils in Jesus' name. They do many wonderful works, but they do not know the Lord. <laughs> they, they do all those things. And Jesus said, they don't, they don't even know me. It fits their movement to a T. But it could fit anybody who's lost and dead in sins or religiously lost. So the set purpose of our lives becomes to do what is right towards God and man. It may begin slowly, this work of God, this walk of God in our hearts. But if, if this is not beginning to happen in us, we need to question our faith. We should. If I had no fruit of salvation or no fruit of eternal life in me, if I had no desire to follow God, if I had no desire to read his word, if I had no, if I had no leading of God to do anything, if I couldn't understand his book, if it was dark as night to me and I couldn't understand anything and I had no desire to be around the people of God or any of those things, I would have to question whether I was a child of God. And you ought to question that. That would be, a, that would be an important thing to question if you had no desires, if you had no true biblical desires there from God. It is true that coldness can make us, that, that we can become lax. And like we talked about the sluggard, we can become that way. But as a child of God, you still know that you have a father. You don't know it by the way you feel. You know it by what his word says. And his guidance. Salvation is not what you feel, it is what you believe. That is very simple. I can condemn myself all day long for the way I feel and do a lot of times. I'm glad you can't see into my brains. <laughs> I'm glad. Oh, man. But I cannot condemn what I believe. Amen. Because I believe that Christ is the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. And he died for my sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again from the dead for my justification. Amen. I have no arguments with that. I have a lot of arguments with myself. I have none with that. Amen. Let God be true and every man a liar. We have to understand that we cannot earn God's love. But we can and must show how grateful we are for it by seeking with our whole hearts to live the kind of life which will bring joy, amen, to God. All heaven rejoices, right? We know what God wants us to do. God has prepared long beforehand the kind of life he wants us to live. And he's told us about it in his book and through his son. He's given us instructions of how to live. He's, he's made everything very clear to us. 
There is one thing that he expects from all and something he has a right to expect, and that is what all can do. We must love God. If you have God's spirit, you can love God. We ought to be charitable with each other, for all the material in God's workshop comes there to be beautiful. What does that mean? Well, see, this thought will help me to bear with my fellow Christians because I know that God is working on them just like he is me. That's how we can have patience one for another. When you see the imperfections in your brothers and sisters in Christ, you won't forget to uh, remember the imperfections that are in you. That'll help you love other people. And you'll, you have to believe, by the way, that's, do you know that's a step of faith? That's, that's walking by faith, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes here. That's walking by faith. Why? Because I must believe that as he that has begun this good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ, I must believe that about my brother in Christ too. I must believe that God is working on him just like he's working on me. So then I have to, I have to exercise faith when they annoy me. <laughs> Or when they do something that is not right. Or when they, they, they have imperfections in their life like we all do. Or when they, they mess up. Or when, they, when, when something like that. I must believe that God is working on them. That means I have to believe that by faith. I walk by faith. I can't see God doing everything in them. I have to believe God is doing that. Does that make sense? I have to believe God. God is, is the almighty artist. Other artists are limited, if in nothing else, certainly in time, but not so much with him who is at work upon us and whatever God touches, he ennobles. You ought to have confidence in God that we are his workmanship. Therefore, he is the workman that is designing and he is the one that is making us. He's the one that's forming and fashioning us into what he wants us to be. And it's an ongoing work. It's an ongoing work. It continues on as God deals with That's why a pastor can be more patient with people <laughs> than, than sometimes you can be with each other. Why? Well, because I believe by faith that, that like I told somebody the other day, we plow in hope. I, don't, I, I believe that, that anyone in this room can live the, life that, and live the life that God wants them to live and that they will grow in grace and that God will strengthen them if they will obey and they will follow him. I, I have good faith and I believe that God will do that work that he promised he would do. That's why I don't give up. That's why I don't, I don't give up on people when, when they, they fail or they mess up because I believe God is going God is gonna to continue to work on them. I believe that. That's that's a that's a, we plow in hope. I don't plow for failure. Like I don't plow and believe that I that 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 my work and I, my labor is in vain. I believe that he that has begun this good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ. Amen. That's why that's what we do, right? We plow in hope. We believe God's going to do it. I I don't think I can do it. I think yeah, I know He can do it. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, how in the world is this going to work out? I don't have to know. I just have to believe God. I just have to do what God commands me to do. And he'll work it out. He has so far. Hasn't he? Amen. I wonder sometimes why God allows certain things to happen. We all do, don't we? But it's for his glory. 
He promised he would withhold no good thing from them that walk uprightly. Right? So I have to believe that he's going to do that. We have to have confidence in the workmen. God means to make us that which he cannot that, that he can contemplate with delight, and we may be sure that every improvement in us brings him enjoyment. God takes pleasure in the work of his hands. Confidence in the workman will give us patience when he seems long. We must not forget that the workman has a plan, that God knows all and knows the precise bearing of each event on our lives. If we look back, we may often see that God has been working all along in harmony with, that one, with one idea. When I look back at my life and look back at things that have happened, when I'm in the midst of those trials, you and I have tunnel vision and we cannot see why God has brought us to that point. In fact, we sometimes cannot even see God in the situation that we're in because we're too busy being concerned about what we're going through to really believe God. So everything is dark to us and we don't really see God in that. But God is in the dark as well as the light. It doesn't affect God. God isn't afraid of the dark. You know, when, 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 when the sun goes down, the world continues on, right? When the sun goes down, God, God is continuing. His creation is continuing to do things at night, right? Things happen at night. And the same thing goes for you if you have a dark time as well. That you can look back and you can say, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Amen. But we won't see it all right away. You know why? Because you try to taste it too soon. You're trying to taste it too soon. Remember I, I preached years ago that, that Roman eight, Romans 8.28 is a cake. Right? So you, you, you put all the ingredients. If you just taste the flour, it doesn't taste that good. Maybe taste the raw egg, it doesn't taste that good, right? Maybe taste, taste the other things that you put in there or whatever you put in there to make it. But, you know, you, but it, when you taste it all together and it's all baked, it tastes really good. Well, you're trying to taste it soon, too soon. You're not patient enough to let it finish. Yeah. You haven't even cooked it yet. <laughs> so sometimes when you get in the oven and you get cooked a little bit. <laughs> Right? It happens. God cooks you a little bit. Right? I like how Spurgeon used to say it. Into the crucible you go. <laughs> right? That's the way it works. And I, I hope I get to my point here. I got a little bit of time. I'm working up to it here. <laughs> the question might be asked, how many of us are to be made perfect by suffering? God's a workman. He's working on us. Suffering is part of that work. Why? Because we are that stubborn and that proud. Literally, I'm, I'm dead. I'm going to tell you, we, I'm dead serious. We are that stubborn and that proud. And the longer you're in the fire, the more you'll realize how much pride you actually have. Because while you're in the fire, you want to speak against God. You want to tell God that he's wrong for allowing to happen what is happening. That it must not be right. Why? Because you're in the fire. Meanwhile, what you don't realize is that God is burning off the impurities. He's burning off the dross. He's burning it all out of you. That's how he works. 
and it's uncomfortable. Well, good. Your whole Christian life is not supposed to be about you being comfortable. That's it's not. In fact, most of it is about you being uncomfortable. It's just the truth. Most of our Christian life is about us being uncomfortable. Why? Because we are way too comfortable in this world. We, we like our flesh. We like to please our flesh. So we're very comfortable. It is God's eternal purpose to make his people holy. That's what he does here before you go home. He continues that work as a workman to make you holy. Okay. Now we're going to get into talking about the walk here. I'm going to skip through some of these things. You know, Paul uses the term walk. It's a habitual tenor of life. It is to be spent in an atmosphere of good works. Here we have one of the divine safeguards against the abuse of the doctrine of salvation by grace. When men hear of, uh, of salvation irrespective of works, they are apt to fancy that works are of little use and do not need to be carefully attended to. But on the contrary, the Bible tells us over and over again that you are saved unto good works. To be careful to maintain good works. We've already talked about that. But it uses the phrase walking. You know, walking is a normal duty in life. If we don't even, we don't even think about it, we just do it. We have to. We have, it's a blessing to be able to walk, right? I mean, I, I felt that today when I got out of that deer stand and, I, and my back went out of me. I was like, oh. Right? That kind of hurts. It's kind of hard to walk. We take walking for granted, don't we? When your back is hurting, you don't. It's like that one preacher said, I ain't preaching on John the Baptist losing his head then. <laughs> I said, you want to go through that, man? <laughs> He said God, he was preaching about the body one time and how the body could be out of joint and everything like that. And he said, God let his back go out. <laughs> He's preaching on that. He said, I ain't never preached about John the Baptist losing his head ever, man. I don't want that to happen to me. But Paul uses walk seven times in the book of Ephesians. Mark chapter 7, verse number 5. When the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? See, the, the Pharisees understood that there was a walk that men have, that walking was a pattern of their life, that this is, this is how do they walk? Why walk they not, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they walk like that? Romans 4.12, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which we had being yet uncircumcised. We're to have a walk of faith, walking in the steps of faith. That's your life. You as a child of God are to walk in faith, not by sight. Romans 6.4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's what baptism is a picture, that death, that burial, and the resurrection, that walking, that new man. When someone gets baptized, scripturally they get baptized to identify with the Lord. It's a public profession of faith in Christ. It is saying that I want the world to know that I identify with Christ and his church and I want to follow him. I am a Christian. I was born again by the Spirit of God. 
and I want to live, I want the world to know that, I, that I'm, child, I'm a child of God. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You are to walk after the Spirit. Your daily walk, your life, is to be filled with the Spirit. You know, the Pentecostals and all these people, they've got this, this grand and crazy idea about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's totally foreign to what the scriptures say. You know what walking in the spirit is? Uh, I've showed you before, but it's, be, it's, it's a wife being a godly wife. It's a mother being a godly mother. It's a husband being a godly father. It's a, it's, it's a lady, a, a Christian lady being a sanctified lady. That's walking in the spirit. That's being filled with the spirit. That's, that's your walk. People are supposed to look at you and say, that person loves the Lord. That person walks with God. The Bible says that, that, what was it, Enoch walked with God and he was not for what? God took him. him. Why? Because he walked with God. He walked with him. His life was a life of faith. Romans 13, 13, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Your walk is to walk honestly. God has commanded that your walk, your life is to be patterned after honesty. In everything that you do. That means you ought not live a certain way in front of your brethren at church and go home and live like a devil there. Amen. You ought not come to church and dress modestly and then go home and dress like a whore. Amen. Is that too blunt? Not in this day and age, it ain't. Amen. Like I tell them, every time I bring up the transgender issue, I always hit, I always hit Christian women up for cross-dressing. I said, you cross-dressed before they did. Ouch. I believe it. I look at me. Do I am I blinking? I'm not. See. I, I believe it. I, I, I believe it that if God's if the women in God's churches didn't didn't start that cross dressing stuff, it wouldn't have got that far. They started dressing like men first. Right? Chopping all their hair off. Man, I'll tell you that get that one gets me mad. I I I the more I see it, the more angry I get at it. I told my wife, don't you ever cut your hair like that. Don't you ever do that. Don't ever cut your hair off like that. Don't be cutting your hair off. You gonna cut the glory off that God gave you? You gonna cut it off? What for? Get short hair, butch it off, and, and get short hair. Why? Well, it's easier. Well, who said your life was supposed to be about being easy? I thought it was about being obedient. I'm so sick and tired of seeing old ladies have shorter hair than me. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I'm tired of it. I hate it. it. Makes me sick. I'm sick of seeing it everywhere I go. And then you got professing Christian women that are doing it. It makes me sick. I can't, I can't stand it. And then they, then they dress like a man. But then they're going to get mad at those transgenders. What for? You're doing the same thing. 
This is why I don't have any friends. This is what, this is what happens. I make them all mad. That's what happens. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Walk honestly. God says your walk, that you should walk in them, should be a walk of honesty. I never did understand. I'm going to go back to this for a second. I never did say, why would a woman want to dress like a man? What would you want to do that for anyway? I, don't, I, just do, I do not understand that. Like, I don't want to dress like a woman. I don't want to wear your clothes. What do you want to wear mine for? Right? I have no desire to wear yours. Phil's laughing. That's right. It's funny, isn't it, Phil? It's a matter of them. Well, I don't. I don't want to wear your clothes. What do you want to wear mine for? You know, preachers used to be blunt about stuff. They used to say that, then look and see if they'd get mad at them and keep saying it. If I see somebody get mad, I double down on it. I keep going. I just keep going. I just plow straight forward. Why? Because I hit the target now. You got to explode that rebellion. For it breathes in your heart and you, and you take it with you and you accept it. And you get all hardened and nasty. Bunch of old Christian women dressing like men. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. They, I'm serious. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. Dressing like men. It just, I, I, it just frustrates me. I, see, I, I hate it. Don't ever marry a woman that wants to dress like a man. Don't marry her. If she don't want to grow her hair out, if she don't want to dress it, don't marry her. You don't want to marry her. You don't want that. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He said they are walking carnally, causing strife and divisions and anger. The walk of the Christian is not to walk carnally fleshly, not to walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. You're walking like the world is what he's saying to them. Walking like men of the world. Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Our walk is the walk of faith. When a man is saved, he walks by faith. Galatians 5, 16, this I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But it's pretty specific instructions, isn't it? This is the new works that you're to walk in, that we should walk in them. He says, walk in the Spirit. So I've showed you how to do that. You can read it, he'll tell you, if you keep reading in Galatians. You know, if you just keep reading the whole chapter, he'll tell you how to walk in the Spirit. He isn't just going to drop that on you and be like, well, you figure it out. He's going to tell you exactly what that looks like. Every time the Bible talks about that, you go, you look at the chapter, it'll tell you what he's talking about, what he means by walking in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll deny the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You live in the Spirit, you're a child of God, you're saved, then you've got to walk in the Spirit. That means that we don't always walk in the Spirit, do we? Huh? We don't always walk in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit always, but we don't walk in the Spirit always. Our manner of life at times, our, our way of living is not always correct. 
And we have to get right with God. We have to ask God to forgive us. We have to pay attention closely to the way we walk. Galatians 5.25, or, or excuse me, Galatians 6.16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. As many as walk according to this rule. So we have rules in the Bible. We have a way to walk. God, God gives us your manner of life, the way you're supposed to live. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Okay, so if I stopped there and I said, okay, well, what's that mean? Well, he tells you, look at verse 2. How do I walk worthy of the vocation? What's a vocation? It's a duty. It's a job, right? It's your vocation, right? It's your work. As a, as a Christian, you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Well, you were called to be a Christian. You're called to be a servant of the Lord. You're called to be a son of God, right? So how are you to walk? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not the Spirit of unity, the unity in the Spirit. See the difference? Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that means that, you know, I'm when I'm... He's, this is addressing the body, he's address, which we're going to get to sometime in Ephesians 4. But what he's talking to is the church at Ephesus, and he's telling them how they're to walk amongst themselves. Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be lowly. I'm supposed to be meek with my brethren. I'm supposed to be long-suffering with my brethren. I'm supposed to be forbearing in love with my brethren. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit what does that mean, that I don't quench the spirit between us in the church? You see what I mean? That's what he's saying. He said that you, don't, that you don't quench that, that work. Why? Because the spirit of God brought us all together into one body. We're all together here. God brought us here. Oh, I believe that. I hope you believe that. I'm here tonight because God brought me here. There ain't no other reason I'd be in Northfield, Minnesota unless God brought me here. I'm, ser I'm dead serious. There wouldn't be any other reason for me to be here. I don't like this town. <laughs> I don't. I'm here because of this church. You're here because of this church. You stayed here because of this church. That's the Spirit of God that brought us all together. So what does it say? Our walk is to be a walk, to walk worthy of that vocation. And how we do that is lowliness with one another, meekness with one another, long-suffering with one another, forbearing one another in love. God, we got to love each other. Ephesians 4, 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. That's the same chapter, by the way. He's saying, you're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called in verse 1. That's how you're to walk. And then he reminds you of their walk in 4.17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Okay, well, how do they walk in the vanity of their mind? What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. It's verse 18. Having the understanding darkened. They, have a, they, have, they don't get it. Like they, 
their understanding is dark and they don't you wonder why somebody like why can't they why don't they get this well they well, you're preaching to them you're like why don't they get this because they walk in the vanity of their own minds and their understanding is darkened they it's darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto what lasciviousness what is that lustful sexual desires that are not controlled to work all uncleanness with greediness wait you're saying they're a bunch of greedy perverts well i didn't say it god said it but yeah that's what they are with all uncleanness with greediness they're a bunch of greedy perverts that's what they are they can't control their lustful desires and then you wonder, why are they so mad at us when we preach? Well, there you go. But ye, look at verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. You don't live that way. That's not your walk. That's their walk. Remember, what, what did he say in Ephesians? That you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But not now. That's who you were before. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Walk in love. You and I are to walk in love. Ephesians 5 8. Actually, yep. But here's how you walk in love, by the way. I'll just read the, I'll keep reading. But, that's the contrast. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So he just told you how to do it. He just told, he told you what their walk is. He told you how to walk in love. What, what does that mean? Well, if I'm not going to live in sin if I love my, my Lord and my brethren. I'm not going to purposely go out and live like a devil. I'm not going to live in sin and wickedness and live vilely. And I'm going to walk in love. I'm not going to walk in fornication, in covetousness, in uncleanness, in filthiness, in foolish talking, in jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. I'm not going to live as an idolater or a covetous person. Or a whoremonger. I'm not going to live that way. Why? Because I'm going to walk in love like he told me to. You, know, these people, you see these people out on the street? When you're out there, they talk about God is love and how they, how they love everybody. And they're sodomites. They're transgenders. They're fornicating. They're dressed like whores. They're running around living trashy. And what's the Bible say? 
The Bible says, according to this, it says that they are walking according to the course of this world. And he also reminds us, let no man deceive you with vain words. But they say love, right? They tell us how much they love while they're living filthy. And God says, I'm going to show you how you're supposed to live and how you identify what they are and what you're supposed to be. See that? That's how you are. You, but you are sometimes darkness. Now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then he goes on to remind you, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in the dark. He's telling you what they are. He said they're, they're full of a bunch of vain words. If they live like that, they're full of vain words. You're not allowed to live like that. You're commanded to walk as children of light, to walk in love. Ephesians 5.15, same chapter, look what he says. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. How do I do that then? He tells you in the next verse, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You redeem the time. You don't waste your time. You reclaim that time. You use that time for the glory of God. You don't squander your time. You redeem the time because the days are evil. Amen. See that? Walk circumspectly, wisely. Walk in wisdom. Pay attention to your walk. Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, here it is, let us walk by the same rule let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be ye followers, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Look what he says in 18. For many walk, remember that's the manner of their life, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those people out there that that, that preach a gospel of lasciviousness. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They do not walk according to what the Bible says. This is how you know the evidence of the child of God. Now, my judgment is not perfect, but I can get a reasonable understanding from what the Word of God says to go to that person and tell them, you profess to be a Christian, but the Bible says, let no man deceive you by vain words. So either your words are vain or you need to repent. Which one is it? Amen. That's called love. That's real love. Not the lying gospel of lasciviousness that they preach while they name the name of Christ and continue in sin that grace may abound. That's not love. It's a lie. 
For many walk of whom I told you often that they're the enemies, right? Colossians 1.10, that, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm going to hurry through these verses here. That you walk worthy. Colossians 2.6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Just as you received him, that's how you walk in him. Colossians 4.5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 12. That you may, I'm almost done, actually. I've only got like four or five more verses. I'm going to get through this, and we're going to finish it. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. He charged them. He said they're not working, they're busybodies. Those are dangerous people. You know, that's one of the most, that, that's, that's, if I would have to go back and look at anything in this ministry that I, have, that I failed in as a pastor, it's not identifying that, that trait of men that would cause destruction in a church from being busybodies and other men's affairs not working. No matter how much they, they fooled with vain words and they did what they did, their life showed something completely different. Idle men are troublemakers. They just are, plain and simple. They need to be working. If they don't want to work, you don't want them around. That's right. It's dangerous, 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 dangerous stuff. And they cause a lot of trouble. They get into people's business and they destroy people's lives. So that's why God warned us about them. They walked, he said they walked disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. We saw that, didn't we? First John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 2 John chapter 1, verse 6, And this is love, that, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And the last verse that, that deals with walking like that is uh, 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Walking in truth. That's the way that God wants us. That's the way of life. That's that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's the walk of the Christian. That's, that's their manner of life. That's the way that they live, and that's the way that you and I ought to live our lives. That's, the way God, that's why God saved you. He prepared you to do those good works, and you have to be obedient to them and follow them and obey them. Father, Lord, we thank you for the plainness of the scriptures tonight. Help us to live it. Forgive us, Lord, for our failures, our sins. Help us to walk in the ways that you commanded us to. And Lord, we thank you for giving us your word and your spirit.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.